Beyond Radley. Business, careers, and more. Virtual talks by experts from our community. Good afternoon and a very warm welcome to all members of the Radley community and to all our school partners who've managed to join us today on Zoom. My name is Caroline Monaghan and I'm responsible for the Beyond Radley Career Speaker Programme, a series of talks designed to give you a live insight into the world of work. I'm pleased to be able to say that this talk was specifically requested by a Radley boy a couple of weeks ago. On the back of his email, I looked through our network on LinkedIn and was able to find our speaker today, Jim Elliott, who's going to talk about a career in music production. We've got over 2,500 connections on LinkedIn and over 1,500 on our own networking platform, Radley Connect. So there are many, many more people we can approach to talk about the types of careers that you might be interested in. Now I'm going to introduce you to Jim Elliott, a music producer who has written and produced for artists, including Foxes, Ellie Golding, Will Young, Kylie Minogue, Ray Morris and Ollie Murs. Jim knew he wanted to be in music when he was at Radley, but didn't know how to start exploring a career in music production. He's going to talk about the early pathway into music, what it's like working in the industry today, and also tell you why music is one of the most exciting places to be right now. So thank you. Over to you now, Jim. Hi, everyone. Uh, thanks for joining me on the Zoom call. Um, so I am a record producer and a songwriter, and I, I would say I've always been in love with music from the word go i think i sort of i would say i was quite obsessed from an early age um playing piano um playing drums pretty much trying to play any instrument i could um and i sort of started off um buying a synthesizer when i was about 13 um and at the time there wasn't a huge amount of music technology even in 19 Goodness, well, it was a long time ago. I'm 45 now, so <laughs> I do the math. Um, but I, I kind of, I think I was just obsessed with uh, things that made sounds. From an early speak and spell game I got, and you could, someone showed me that you could actually pull apart the machine and and sort of modify the the basic sound going. A E I O U to make it sound like a synthesizer. So um, I was always interested in um, electronic, electronic, electronic music instruments from the word go. Um, but I was sort of at schools where really they, you know, they didn't really know what this was. So I, I went to a normal prep school um, and I was in the orchestras, played percussion. Um, and then I went to came to Radley, and it was um, it music technology was a very new thing there, um, and it was predominantly the choir and um, recital, and occasionally sort of there was a funny room where you could play drums and make noise, but it was kind of hidden away. And um, there was um, a great music master there called Mr. Gunningham. I don't know if he's still there, but he he wanted to introduce um keyboards synthesizers um drum machines um into the music school which was kind of quite radical at the time so um and because by then i was pretty um versed in 
how to set up a system me and him talked a lot about how to um create this and um and obviously i took the keys most of the time for the room and <laughs> wouldn't let anyone else in so um it was a bit i i guess it was it was a sort of early stages of um maybe radley uh working with music technology it was still very much a sort of fad if you like um and for a long time i i sort of it was like a hobby really and um i um i bumped into a friend who who was a bit older than me and he was he had left school and he was working for an advertising agency and he said jim do you want to come and um come to a recording studio I was like, well, I've never been to a proper recording studio. And this, this studio was for, um, for recording um, sounds to ad uh, adverts. So it was called a sound dubbing studio. So they would get sound effects and place them over picture. Um, so it wasn't really a music recording studio, but it had all the kit, which was very similar. And I was just completely blown away by it. I had no idea that... Uh, there were these studios um, built like this and sounding like this because the sound was incredible. Um, and it sort of perked my interest really to start trying to find out more about the industry because I, all, all that I was exposed to was really enemy bands, the pop, you know, as a consumer. I didn't realize there was this whole sort of um, backdrop of jobs and people who worked in the industry. Um, so I started to apply for jobs in the holidays through this uh, newspaper called Loot, which was, uh, was before the internet, but you could you could sort of write in a, a, a sort of um, a message and it would come up in the newspaper um, and people would ring you up and say, hey, um, I've seen your advert. Do you want to come and work in my studio or, or collaborate so at age 17 I was going off I lived in London in the holiday my parents lived in Putney and um, I found a, a sort of part-time job in in Brixton in a uh, not a very uh, <laughs> it was quite a seedy recording studio um, but it was a recording studio all the same and they recorded terrible pop music there uh, for um, it was like um sort of rip offs of pop songs that were then uh karaoke backing so um it was the worst kind of like quality control but um i learned a lot about how to record different types of instruments and it sort of fed my fascination for this side of the industry um so then when it came to leaving radley i was i was like well I can either pursue a you know straight career and go to university um or I can make the jump and and go and try and work in one of these studios um and my parents were a bit like I think we you need to go to university and and do the sensible route then do what you want so I was like okay well I'll just go along with this I didn't really have a particular I want to go to university and study this. I just, it was a bit, it was a bit um, 
I'll be honest, I, I, I sort of just went along with it and I, I took any course that would have me. <laughs> and I went to Oxford Brooks and actually it was a great year, but I realized quite quickly during my year at Oxford Brooks that um, I was sort of wasting my time slightly. Um, I wasn't really up for going to all the freshest things. I just wanted to w write music and be in a recording studio. And, and then I met, um, a, a a a sort of German um, music entrepreneur called Olaf, who was the most brilliant character, and he he ran a a distribution company that um, distributed um, all sorts of records, um, heavy metal records, techno records, um, sort of subgenres, small genres of music. Um, it from a place called Wallingford, which was just outside Oxford, and um, it was a it was an incredible business. He he sort of described it onto me on the phone. Like um, he said that um, all the waifs and strays who make music release through my company. So I was expecting a sort of a shed when he said come and visit me, and instead it was this state of the art building with um, Porsches outside, and I, I was. I was sort of okay. Well, this this is interesting, and um, Olaf said, "Do you want to do you want to start releasing music through my company? Because I've I like what you're making and you're you know at home and for a hobby, and I'd like to put it out on a 12-inch record." And I was like, "This is incredible." Um, so I then said to my parents, "I've got a record deal. I'm leaving university," and um, and I then sort of thought, well, how much money am I actually going to earn from this? And it was like three hundred pounds. <laughs> but it was a, it was a, a, a little bit of a baptism of fire because I realised that I I needed to jump, I needed to take a risk, if you like. Um, and the reality was that I was going to be poor and penniless for a bit. But I, everyone I met in the industry. Um, had sort of followed that route of jumping and following your passion really um so i did i, I mean i i just left oxford brooks after a year um and found a small job in a in a studio um and i started learning my craft really and i in london at that time you could sort of hop around recording studios where you would start off in one studio and then you'd meet someone from another studio and you they would specialize in um film music or um pop music or and you'd you'd sort of cover your bases and there was a network of these studios sadly they a lot of them are closed down but um it was a way of sort of gaining experience and the the key thing was meeting people um I realized quite quickly that the, the music industry um, is a, it's a vibrant community of creatives who are one foot very creative and the other, uh, they're quite entrepreneurial. So they have to find ways of being paid in areas that are traditionally quite tricky because, you know, it's competitive. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's um, I really found my people I found. I was lucky and lots of my friends went to university, got their degree and came to London 
started jobs they hated and realized that they were they hadn't found their their groove or path and some of them still haven't but um i i was lucky i i realized that i could work in this industry and i i, I really loved it um so and then i i i started realizing that at the time i i needed to maybe find a, a, a an area in the music industry that i could um support myself because really working in studios it was really hard like you were paid nothing um and i realized that one area that i was well a i was quite good at writing uh, jingles for um adverts and it was really lucrative if you if you were lucky so i set up with a friend of mine a little company that um we operated out of a, a studio elephant and castle and we we created a uh, a business around making jingles for advertising and um we did this for about five years and we we ended up with a studio in soho um a sort of quite fancy offices um but it was an extraordinary sort of growth of um we were both pretty much penniless in london within five years we created a small company that you know had a couple of employees um and we 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 sort of were in the business of making jingles and uh, advertising is such that companies at that point had to spend i think it was maybe 20 percent of their gdp which uh, you know on on advertising because um it was it was important obviously to um market their you know market their products in a way that um incorporated uh, things like music um and um certain products obviously lended that themselves to that so um and also there were you know campaigns on telly where you'd write um for i don't know a, a lloyd's pharmacy commercial and they'd the, the music became part of the brand so every year they'd ask you to renew it um the contract and you wouldn't have to do any work you just say well you can use it again for that year so it was if you if you were lucky it was um it was a, a fantastic uh, gig to get um so at the, at that time i was also trying to um break into songwriting into the sort of music industry proper so i'd always by then i was sort of quite experienced in the studio and I, my songwriting was getting better um so i formed a uh i i met my partner actually you know we started a little band um we weren't very good bands but um we we wrote these quite good songs um and we were the original plan was to try and get signed as a a band and you know i had my business on the side of making advert music and and the band thing was just fun um and we started playing uh you know around gigs uh gigs in london and uh, at venues um and one day someone came up to me and said jim your, your your band's rubbish but your songs are really good so i was a bit hurt by this and i thought oh, thanks <laughs> um and he he said well have you thought of sending your songs off to people and um them you know 
you not singing them or, or 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 performing them, but someone else taking on the song. And I I sort of didn't realize that this happened so much. I thought you know the songs were sort of written by the artists. I didn't quite get that you had professional songwriters. So suddenly I was exposed to a completely new idea of uh, the industry and a, a different part. Um, anyway, long and short. Uh, uh, one of the songs we we had written for our band um, found its way to Kylie Minogue, um, the the record people, you know, the record company, and they rang me rang me up and said, um, we we'd love to use your song. And I thought, great, they they're going to sign us as a band. But what they meant was, can Kylie Minogue sing your song? And um, so I was a little. I was obviously over the moon, but then I had to break it to my partner and the other people in the band that we weren't going to sing that song anymore. Someone else was going to sing the song. Um, but this was this was really a, a kind of breakthrough moment, really. Underneath, this is what I've been waiting for all my professional career was a breakthrough into the proper music industry. Because in a way, the advertising music it's fantastic, but it's full of people who um, maybe wanted to be in a band or write music professionally. And um, like me, I, I, I sort of had this idea that I really wanted to write music for people, but um, I didn't know how. Um, and now I was presented with an opportunity whereby a, a sort of superstar, Kylie Minogue, um, was going to sing my song, so of course I said yes. Come on, let's. This is incredible. Um, and to be fair, I thought, "Wowie, this is amazing! My everything's going to go crazy. I'm going to become a, you know, doors are going to open for me." Um, but the song wasn't really that a supersonic hit. It was a minor hit, but and doors weren't immediately open for me. <laughs> so I was. I was a little bit disappointed, um, but it made me think, okay, well, this is how, this is a whole nother area of the industry. Um, let's go for it. This is what I want to do. So I sold my um, music uh, advertising business and just went for it, writing music for people. And initially, I must have written four or 500 songs that, you know, within two years of pretty rubbish songs but I was determined that I this is th this was going to happen um, and then our next breakthrough was Kylie Minogue again um, so she was on her second album after um, the, the previous one that we'd had a song on um, and we wrote this song called All the Lovers which is um, you know we sent in to the record label saying we think this would be great and um that the label rang back said they hated it wasn't right i was like oh no i thought that was the one um anyway strangely the guy um hadn't found the song they were looking for and again my song came up and it got chosen and um and this was a much bigger hit this was a um you know this was in america it was quite big in, in europe it, it blew up and suddenly doors were open for me so i'd gone from 
trying my heart out, saying I've had one Kylie Minogue marginal success to a much bigger record. And this really shifted everything where I realized that, okay, I've got to, I've got to keep up with this now. I've got to write the next song. Um, so yeah, and then it, and then I had a run of, I don't know, quite a few top 10 hits, a couple of number ones, um, and became closely, I, I, I've worked closely with people like Ellie Goulding and Will Young on a couple of albums. Um, and, and then I just sort of kept growing it from there. Um, and here I am now. So that's um, that was that's my career. So I I'm I, I call myself a, a, a songwriter producer. So I um, I can do lots of different things within that field. But essentially, I write songs, I produce songs, and I can take a, a song from an, a rough idea into making it sound like a finished product and delivering it to the record company. So, um, yeah, um, that's, that's my career. Um, and things have changed uh, quite a bit in the industry since I joined it. Um, initially, it was obviously CDs and records and tapes. And, and now, obviously, everything is streaming based. So, there's been a huge um, change in the industry, and it was looking pretty dodgy at one point, where people were starting to pirate um, and rip off um, CDs and upload them on the internet, and um, you know the industry was losing millions, billions, and and then Spotify created this platform whereby, for ten pounds a month or whatever it is now, um, you had unlimited songs to listen to and this model has now been repeated by different streaming companies but it provides i would say probably 80 percent of the revenue for the industry and it because you know people are adopting it people are incorporating it incorporating it into the way they consume music it's just growing every year so um it's the industry has gone from being in not a great position, and people have been going, oh, the industry's dead now. Uh, it's looking really good. And Caroline, can I ask you to upload one of the graphs? <laughs> what was the uh, the first Kylie song that you wrote? Um, a bit of a Kylie called, fan here. Um, it was called Two Hearts. Two Hearts. And it's, um, it's, it was her it was the song she came back with after having cancer. So for her, it was an enormous uh, song for her because she hadn't been performing for ages. And she, you know, she wanted to choose something that was a bit off kilter. And um, yeah, it was, it was incredibly exciting when that, that, that happened. But um, I don't know if you managed to see that graph, everybody, but um uh i can't it was there in a minute then it went it came and went <laughs> <laughs> oh well 
if, if you noticed the there was just a nice curve going upwards which um it's it's just we're in a really healthy position right now and what's really interesting is that previously the only people who'd taken a risk on investing in musicians have been record companies so record companies are notoriously they rip everyone off and their contracts are pretty appalling most of the time and um because the value of the music industry is going up so much at the moment um you're now getting um companies that uh would never touch the industry are now investing in song rights and there are companies like hypnosis on the stock exchange which are they buy up song rights uh with a view that the royalties are, are there's a constant stream of royalties coming from songs so in the old days you used to release a song and it would spike initially on the release of the um the record or the cd and people would buy it and then the record would be played on the radio and then you get interest in the song from that and then gradually as people maybe own the cd the the revenue would sort of die down from it and now because of streaming um you know if you have a hit song it just doesn't go away it just you might not get an enormous spike like you did before but you get a continuous stream of um revenue which uh you know is significant over a piece of time uh, uh, over amount of time so um it's it's very different and people can in a way um forecast say you're going to earn x from this song if it if it's been a successful song you'll you can so you can then start trading and futures of that song um so it's 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 fascinating what's ha been happening and if you're a creator of music then and you really you know you you pursue it and you get really good at it the chances are that it, it you can make a at least a stab at a career out of it whereas before it was it was a bit of a mystery so um yeah so i don't know if you've seen what we managed to get um a, a, albeit a presenter view of the two can you see that on your screen of the two okay, graphs yeah. to show yeah yeah so so we can have those. a look at that they look very healthy and um what's what also is interesting is the amount of streaming revenue compared to physical revenue so physical i mean by things you buy and records and cds whereas now streaming makes up a lot of the, the revenue coming in um so yeah so it's a healthy position the industry um you know what i've i've talked a bit about what i've done and how i sort of got into the industry which was pretty haphazard but it was really driven by just a little bit well i was quite obsessed with what i did um and i did live in london now that i would say I don't want to say that's very important, but it is a thing that maybe is less so now. We're in a sort of a world of Zoom meetings, and um, but I think geography does play a little bit of a part in that because 
there are definite centers of industries, creative industries. So um, I would say London and Los Angeles are predominantly the places where um, pop music, um, the music business is centered. So I, I go over to Los Angeles quite a lot to um, to write with people and to do business with people. Um, and so London, New York, Los Angeles are predominantly the centers. So I guess if you want to get into the industry, if you can base yourselves in any of these places, it does help. Um, it's, it is harder um, doing it from outside. Now, having said that, I don't live in London anymore. I live in Wales, um, but I do go up to London a hell of a lot. Um, um, so yeah, I guess we could talk a bit about how the industry is constructed and what 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 what, what aspects to it there are. So there's this, another graph. These are the predominantly the different areas in the music industry that you can get involved in. So um, at the bottom, <laughs> there are the musicians. <laughs> just try. For Which, some reason, uh, I can't share that PowerPoint. I don't know why. Let me just try one more time. Can you see, is everyone seeing the graph or not? No. Oh. Let's try this. Did that work? I can see it. Yeah. Can you see? Yeah. Great. Okay, we're on. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. So if everyone's having a look at the graph um, or the flow chart, um, okay. Well, let's have a look at the musicians down the bottom. It's interesting that the musicians are down the bottom because this tends to be the case. <laughs> even though it is the music industry, musicians tend to be uh, treated with, uh, you know, they're the hard done by guys um, because essentially, you know, being a musician is in many people's eyes a bit like a, it's a job, but it's, it's sort of you're doing what you love, therefore you you, you know that you, you get value in that, and you shouldn't be paid as much. Um, now, so um, if you are a musician, then you have an industry um, body called the Musicians Union. Now, I, I'm a member of the Musicians Union, so they look after things like um, if you play an instrument on a record, then um, they will check um, where that record's been played and collect royalties for you. Um, now, if you there are within the musicians union, there are other um, collecting bodies. Um, so if you play, let's say you play the piano on a pop song, um, you will have to, and that that song is released by Madonna, let's say. And Madonna goes and releases the song in different countries. You will, you as a musician, will have to register with different collecting bodies so that you will get paid um, if the the song is played on radio, if it's played on TV, if it's she performs it on a concert. Um, 
so it's important if you are a musician to to really get advice on how to protect your performances um so i'll just quickly riz around everything so it just makes more sense so at the top there's you've got the managers who represent artists there and you know they they will basically if you're an artist they will help book you gigs they will maybe align you with brands they will negotiate your help negotiate your contracts um and they're an integral part of the industry because they are a link between the creative and the record companies um if you're a singer or a, a musician um that's quite complex this flow chart there's a lot to go through but i just wanted to I guess I just wanted to show you the idea that the music industry within it has a lot of different jobs. So, for instance, um, lawyers. In, without lawyers, we can't really make any money in the music industry because when you write a piece of music, it's, it becomes an intellectual copyright. That is, basically, if you write a song on your piano and you record it on your iPhone, there's an actual law that protects that piece of music. Um, it, it, it's, it's yours, basically. Now, what a lawyer can then do is if you want to sell that song to someone or you, um, you want to establish a copyright with a record company, um, a lawyer will help put that into legal wording so that you know, there's no good use just sending in a song and, and expecting to be paid. You have to engage a lawyer to create a contract. So you can see that as a lawyer in the music industry, there's a huge amount of contract work that comes through um, from record companies, through musicians. Uh, it's, it's a massive industry. So um, there's obviously the legal aspect of the music industry. Um, there are um companies that um control um song rights which uh, as i said they collect money from other countries um following the songs and finding out who's been if it's been played on the radio or, or tv um which are again huge industries um uh there are as you can see there is there's the shops there's the record shops there's um there's the radio you know radio is huge for music industry and um i would say i don't know if that comes under music industry because it's it's more of a a, a service um but it's a, it's a, a quite diverse and it's growing in more and more interesting in terms of there are new platforms such as tiktok um where it, it it there's a whole literally laws are being created about the use of music every day so um you now have um where people use music to make their own dances on tiktok and you have to establish well who, how does someone get paid from that because they're they're borrowing the music but they're not really listening to it they're dancing to it they're filming themselves uh, it, it, it's it's such a fast moving industry at the moment um so yeah i i just wanted to show this flow diagram 
of so you can just see all the different strange and wonderful areas you can work in so you don't necessarily have to be a performer you don't have to write music um you know if you've got a uh, just a passion for i don't know creative industries and um you're wondering how how do how do i approach this with maybe my skill set that you you have um you can see that it incorporates quite a lot of different skills um do you think it's best to um sort of move around a little bit and try different things if you can yeah i would say i mean i i've i've been predominantly recording studio based in what i do um i've never worked for a record company um or um i've never worked for a manager's office but yeah i think i think i would say that if you're say a creative and i would say probably i i i would i would advise against um working in the industry we call it working the other side of the fence because I think you can be quite easily tainted um, and the amount of work that needs to go into building a career as a creative is it, it, it I mean lots of people do do that but um, I just think it's it's uh, I think if 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 you work almost you can divide the industry into two one is very creative and that is to do with writing music performing music um, working in studios that side of things and then the other side is the money side which is um recording companies management companies um collecting bodies and i would say that it's good to split the two i think um it's it's tricky going between the two so um yeah i would say Wait. that Sorry, I was just going to say, so I wonder, so in terms of competitiveness, you mentioned that the industry is very competitive. Is it, is it, were you talking about the, um, the sort of musician side of things there um, and your kind of arena or is it competitive throughout? It's competitive throughout. I mean, it's a, people call it a glamorous industry to work in. It's not, but <laughs> I think when you say I work in the music industry, I think people do obviously think wowie that sounds like a really fun it is a very fun and exciting industry um, and therefore people are prepared to work in it for less money so that they can get the jobs because they just really want to work in the industry um, and I think it's you know that it it is what it is it's it's um, you have to you really have to want it and and be obsessed with what you do. I think they're the people who are, you know, most of the people who've done really well that I know, they're the sort of people who have gone that one step extra. They they live it, they breathe it. Uh, it's not it's not a particularly. Um, if you're looking for life balance, it's probably not the best thing. Uh, but it's it's such I, I think because it's driven by passion it's uh it, the, the the competitiveness comes with just you wanting to go that bit extra do that you know go for it more than the other person and i think those are the people that tend to get the jobs um 
So you mentioned earlier that you went to university and then decided it wasn't for you. Can you do um, music production or specific music degrees now? I believe you, you can, can, can't you? Yeah. You so really can, yeah. Did they, so not, you, did they not have that opportunity for you then or were you not sure that that's what you wanted to do? I think at that time, the, the, if there was a course, it was, uh, it was mostly academic research. Um, it wasn't particularly involved with the music industry. It was more uh, physics and maths. Uh, uh, you know, um, working with music, music sounds, um, more science-based, if you like, um, than actually figuring out how to make a song sound better. Um, and I think now that you, I mean, there are amazing courses. I think um, that uh, you can go to, and I mean, there is a, I would say the there is a little bit of a danger with those courses in that they give you a full sense of uh, what, what, because you're in an institution, you're not in the workplace. Um, and the people who teach at these uh, music production courses tend to be people who are, are not that, not, they're not in the, in the industry then, they were maybe in it five years ago. So you get a slightly rose tinted view or, or, or the opposite, you get a very negative view of, um, and I've heard a lot of people who go to these courses that it, 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 it's an unrealistic view sometimes. I mean, the best, you know, the, the, the best advice I can give you is, is probably to create your own, be entrepreneurial with it and, and chase it yourself and, it's incredibly hard because, um, you know, when you're looking at how to get into an industry like this, you're like, well, I can go and do a course. Um, but actually, you're probably better off harassing whoever you want to harass and not taking no for an answer and knocking down doors and just being really bold with it and let your sort of passion drive you to, yeah. Mm. Yeah, well, we've uh, we've got some questions coming through on on the chat here. Um, please, anyone who wants to ask anything of Jim, do do pop it on the chat for us. Um, uh, can I see? I'm I'm sorry, I'm, I'm really stupid with Zoom. Where is the chat screen? <laughs> you, if you go down the bottom, there's um, a chat. Oh yeah, bubble. Yeah, Just okay. hit that, and you'll you'll be able to see it. But I'll, I'll direct the question. So. Nix wants to know, um, sort of pertaining to what we were just talking about, if you were starting again, do you think you would follow the same path or would you do something slightly different? Um, good question, Nick. Um, uh, I think I'd probably follow the same path as much as I realised early on that you have to, in order to survive in this industry, you have to be very adaptable be it's like you can't take anything for granted so in that respect like when i was starting out i you know i literally it was hand to mouth and um i could always go and back stay with my parents i'm not gonna lie they had a nice house and i still had my room there but it was not a cool thing to go and do i had to try and make it by myself so um and therefore I was quite glad from early on. I had it. I had it a bit tough, and I, I sort of, I learned that you just, you take every, you 
sort of take every opportunity. Don't I had to be I had to say yes to a lot of things um, in terms of, you know, and, and not be. I think there's a there's that very tricky thing for musicians where integrity is everything. So um, you have to strike that balance of saying yes to things even though you feel maybe it's not quite right for you but equally you don't know where that yes might lead you to so um yeah so i i think i would sort of do it yeah i'd do it my way i mean i i made some terrible mistakes along the way i've, I've sort of worked with wrong people and you know everyone does that but um i think that approach I, yeah i think that's the, the, I do it the same way. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. It's good that you can say that. Uh, some questions uh, coming in thick and fast now. What sort of projects are you working on now? Um, so I'm working with uh, an artist called James Morrison, who is a he's like a lovely soul singer. He sounds very like Stevie Wonder. Um, so he's a he's quite a. So I'm 45 now, and you know. I'm I'm a, I'm an old timer in the music industry, you know. My peers and and people I work with are often much younger than me, um, so I I've I write music for Radio Two now predominantly. Um, I occasionally have Radio One hits, but essentially my, you know, you just have to be honest with yourself, like to write for your for your demographic, for your age group. Um, so I work a lot with artists who feature on Radio 2 um, and that, it's kind of nice because I love writing songs as opposed to beats and, um, you know, and I, 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 I'm just rubbish at that style of music, anything beyond a good song, I, I, I you know. Um, so with James Morris, I'm working with Ellie Goulding again on some new material. Um, and we've all been talking. There's uh, Will Young. I'm working with a new artist called Berg, who's um, from Sweden. Um, yeah, to say lots and lots of different things. But um, that's the thing with when you're a songwriter, you literally do jump around different songs and different people. Uh, Okay, should I just go through some of these questions? Yeah, yeah feel free. Um, I was just going to ask you because there's a question from Rafe about your involvement on Olly Murr's Heart Skips a Beat. <laughs> Heart Skips a Beat. Um, so I, I was a songwriter on that song. Um, and I got together with a couple of guys who I sometimes work with. Um, so sometimes in the songwriting world, you, you have these, they're, they're called camps, which is quite an interesting term. but essentially songwriters get together on mass and you you sort of brainstorm um songs for a particular artist and i got together with a couple of guys um and we had jls in one part of the uh building and then ollie mers was in the other and jls and ollie mers would hop around these different studios and um, I'd be in one studio and then another guy would be in another. And so one day we had Ollie Murs in our studio. Um, and yeah, we, we wrote, we came up with the idea of 
heart skips a beat before he got there and then he he came in and then he sang it and went away and yeah um so so i was a songwriter on that and i i think i played the piano on that song as well so um brilliant yeah. got a question here from nick um how do record companies sort of start off in the first place um how do they start i think uh i guess it's often someone who wants to release music that they love and that's normally it's done from a sort of passion project or obsession with say like around where i live there's a there's a massive well, well not so massive but there's about four or five bands who are really into psychedelic rock so kind of very strange 70s drone music with drums and guitars and hardly any vocals it's it's pretty out there but um i really love it and uh there isn't really i mean there are small niche labels that release the music but so i've got together with a friend of mine um and we're 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 going to put out some of these um acts and we're going to record them um i don't know how at the moment but um we're going to find a way of recording these local bands and then just issuing them straight to vinyl so and it's purely limited limited to like 250 um copies but there's an example of how a label would start and then perhaps maybe one of those acts would start doing well and then suddenly you'd have to raise money to press up a thousand copies or whatever vinyl or or if you're on spotify you'd spend the money on marketing and you grow it from there but essentially a lot of these companies are, are starting especially independent labels but um yeah i hope that answers that one it's great thank you um question here from molly why do you think so many artists are unhappy with streaming services like spotify and do you think websites like bandcamp will ever be able to compete with streaming platforms Wow. Yeah, I mean, so at the moment, the, the problem with streaming is that, uh, I mean, I say it's really helping out the industry. It is pretty unfair on the song creators. Um, so the record companies uh, did a deal really early on with Spotify, whereby Spotify could license all their catalogue. So Universal Music, Sony Music, uh, um, Warner Music, they own the lion's share of the recording copyrights of these songs. And they, so Spotify said, look, we'll, we'll, we'll give you loads of money in the deal. We'll, we'll give less money to the songwriters. So I don't know if I explain this, but with, with money that comes in from say a sale of a CD or a stream, the money is split into two. So the, the, person who paid for the recording of the song gets a chunk of money and then the, the actual person who wrote the song gets a chunk of the money and at the moment the streaming industry is is weighted towards the recorded side so that is record companies and the the, the songwriters i.e the, the artists the, the musicians get a small percentage um, but recently in America, which is really good news, um, the uh, American Copyright um, Federation, I can't remember the name of it, 
they've ruled um, that it's unfair and it, the, it needs to be more of a 50-50 split. So when that happened, I think musicians won't be so unhappy. <laughs> but it will happen because it's been passed by Congress and uh, it's, it's coming. So it's just a question of when. Um, and okay. Did you know about Bandcamp? Um, yeah, so Bandcamp's a really interesting idea. So um, rather than you as an artist having to almost uh, perform their music, record it, and then wait for the royalty to come in, what you can do is if you have, say, a thousand fans, you can say, hey, thousand fans, um, I want to... I want to create my next album. Will you advance pay me ten pounds so I can go and record the music, and you'll in return get the album. And it, it's a way of advancing the money. So um, I don't know. It's a different model, I think, because essentially you're you're creating a product that is becomes. You know, you're asking people to pay for that product. Um, I I think in some ways that it's a brilliant model if you've got a small amount of fans. Say you're a uh, you know if you've got 500 to a thousand, 3,000 fans, and you can ask your fans for say five pounds to you know that's that's quite a good amount of money to front the recording of a a new album, and it it can sort of it's a you know and that can go into funding your touring or so it's it's a really good model for that but i don't i think because of the nature of it it's 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 a different thing really i don't think it will compete because it's just completely different is there such a thing as a white list? i'm just going on to the next question um so yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll if you perhaps finish up with the last one because we'll uh, we'll close up from there uh, have okay. you got any tips on contracts and what type of contracts there are out there? What types um, are? Oh, wow, that's a quite a big question. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, yes, they're, they're, what, what's great is that there are resources online to have a look at um, examples of record contracts. I would say that any contract, I know it's expensive, but I would not sign anything without getting legal advice. Um, it's just, it's such a minefield if you if you get it wrong, um, and it's it's not worth. You know, I'm I made some really bad mistakes by thinking I knew legal terminology, um, and so if you if you are in a position where someone approaches you and wants to release something, then it's worth spending two hundred quid on a lawyer to. Um, I, I mean, if you can get a lawyer that cheap, but often if you've got no money and the lawyers will do things, they might even do it for free in the hope that when you're up and running, you'll come back to them. But yeah, I would always, always uh, go to a lawyer um, unless you're a lawyer yourself. But, um, yeah. Brilliant. That, that's great. Um, thank you so much, Jim. That was really that's enjoyable, right. useful, invaluable insight. Into the Thank you. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, good luck. <laughs> well, before we all go, I'm going to tell you about the final talk we've got lined up before a well-earned half-term break. 
On Wednesday, we've got Max Rendell, professional magician, who will talk about his life as a magician and how the skills he's learned performing magic have enabled him to branch out into the business world. Max will not be able to resist demonstrating his magical powers during this talk, so it's definitely one to watch. And just a final reminder that you can watch any talks that you may have missed on Radley Video. Thank you for attending and we hope to see you on Wednesday. And thanks so much to you, Jim. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Bye-bye, bye. guys. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us. Check our channels for the latest news and events from the Radley and Society.